let's go straight to the scriptures. First, um, Psalms chapter 133. Now, this is a workers' meeting, so expect me that uh, I'm going to tell you some things that not everybody knows. So we're going to go into the meat of the world this evening. Amen. I think I've got one hour, right? Yeah. First, uh, Psalms chapter 133. We're going to read from verse 1 to 3. One to go. It says, um, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment, as the dew of Hammon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. Amen. I want to talk a bit tonight on the church. What is the church? Hallelujah. Now, a lot of times as Christians, we come to church, we don't really know what the church is all about. Sometimes we feel it's just a place for us to gather, pray, sing, and then go home. What is the church? And how is the church supposed to operate. So please get your writing materials, get something to write because we will uh, uh, do some uh, reading and uh, learn some new things. Amen. Now, this is a workout meeting, not a normal, regular church service. So you should be ready to, to do some work. So let me give you one minute for you to get to write your writing materials. One minute one minute because you will need to write if you are going to write on your tablet or a note hallelujah amen are we set are we set are we set your writing on your phone are you sure you'll be able to write on your phone okay right so what is the church now the word church is from the greek word ecclesia Ecclesia is spelled E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. It is pronounced Ecclesia. Now, the word Ecclesia in Greek actually is a political term. And it is used for the assembly of citizens of ancient Greek states. Now, in ancient Greek, now if, for you to understand the world in which the New Testament was written, you need to understand what is called the Greco-Roman world. That is, the Greece-slash-Roman world. As at the time of Jesus, right, the Romans were ruling that region that, you know, we know today to be the uh, Middle East and then some part of Europe and then North Africa, right? Now, so the Greek, I mean, the Romans were ruling, but the, Ro the Romans, when they took over from the Greeks, they did not destroy the Greek libraries. So the Romans were Roman in outlook, but they were Greek in their mind. You understand? Outlook, they were Romans. But in their mind, they were Greeks because they had access to Greek materials. So that's why you notice that even though as at the time of Jesus, 
the Romans were the ruling power, a lot of literature was written in Greek. You understand? Because when Alexander the Great uh, uh, ruled over that region, he made sure that the Greek language was spoken in all the region that Greeks conquered. Now, the Greeks never, I mean, did not have kings. In the ancient world, most regions were ruled by kings, the monarchy. But the Greeks did not have kings. They had, you know, what is called a senate. In fact, the Greeks gave us the idea of democracy that we have today from the Greek word democrata. Now, they had a senate. They didn't have kings. Now, people are selected or elected to go into the Senate to represent the generality of the people. You understand? So those who go into the Senate, that assembly, that political assembly in the UK, I think you call it the House of Commons or whatever. Now that is what is called Ecclesia. So they are a group of people that are called out. Are you getting me right now? When you go to the Senate, you notice that the senators are called out from the generality of the people and they go to represent the rest of the people. Now, the word ecclesia, translated church in the New Testament, occurs 116 times. How many times in the New Testament? 116 times. That is according to Strong's Bible Dictionary. And in the New Testament, and usually translated church, except on three occasions when it is translated assembly. And let's read the three occasions when it is translated assembly. Acts chapter 19, verse 32, verse 39, and verse 41. Acts chapter 19, verse 32, verse 39, verse 41. I want us to read together. Please, can we project Acts 19, 32. So, therefore cried one thing, some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused. The assembly. The word used for assembly there is ecclesia. Now, verse 39, verse 39, verse 39, but if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. The word assembly there is also ecclesia. And then verse 41, verse 41, verse 41, and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So out of the 116 times, that ecclesia was used in the new testament to represent church on these three occasions it was used it was translated assembly now for those of us that are bible students acts chapter 19 was when there was a riot in the city of ephesus when the people that make images of diana amen revolted against paul because many people were getting converted and they were no longer buying the images of diana 
So the coppersmiths that made the images staged a protest in the city because they wanted Paul out because Diana was no longer, the images were no longer being uh, bought and they were losing business. Praise the Lord. Now, so that's when the people gathered there was called assembly or ecclesia. So, first, have this at the back of your mind that the word ecclesia means a political assembly of citizens of ancient Greek states, right? It's usually translated church in the New Testament, except in those three occasions when it is translated assembly. Now, the word ecclesia comes from two Greek words. Now, it is important for you to understand this because you will not know why we need church. Now, it comes from two Greek words. The first is the word ek, E-K, ek, ek. Ek means out of, out of, out of. And the second is the word kaleo. Kaleo means called. So, ecclesia is ek. Kaleo. Kaleo is K-A-L-E-O. K-A-L-E-O. Ek, E-K. Kaleo. K-A-L-E-O. Out of. So one is out of and the other is called. Ek, out of. Now, the two words occur separately in a particular quotation in the scriptures. Ek, Kaleo. Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. And there, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken out, I mean, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So we we'll see the word out of ek kaleo called being used together in a verse here now i need to say this when you read the book of matthew the gospel according to saint matthew you will realize that especially in the early parts of the life of jesus you will see the writer of matthew saying that this is done that so and so scripture might be fulfilled might be fulfilled now, if you go to some of those Old Testament quotations he makes, you will realize that sometimes it is not that they, they, they are, uh, what is happening in the life of Jesus was exactly what was quoted in the Old Testament. But the idea is not a fulfillment of a prophecy. But what it, the idea in the Gospel of Matthew is that this fills up just like you feel something. So instead of saying that, you know, that it might be fulfilled, what it actually means is it fills up. Right? Because if you go to the book of Hosea, for example, this was quoted from Hosea. When, where Hosea quoted this, he wasn't talking about Jesus. He was talking about when Israel came out of Egypt. He said, when Israel was a child, I called him by the hand. And then out of Egypt, I have called, I held him by the hand. And out of Egypt, I've called out my son. That's the way it was put in the book of Hosea. But when he quoted it here, he's just saying, this fills up that scripture. So it is not that 
This is the fulfillment of that scripture. Now that is, do, do you understand? I think we need to read that. Now this is a digression, but um, I need to, I need to, I need to show that to you first. Uh, uh, I need to show that to you. I just feel that is very important for us to understand. Praise the Lord. Now, Osea 11. Osea 11 verse 1. Can we read Osea 11 verse 1? When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So, who was God talking about here? The nation of Israel. But when you look at the way Matthew quoted it, it will seem as if this is talking about Jesus. Right. What he's saying is that what happened to Jesus fills up this prophecy. That is, agrees with this prophecy. Do you get it right now? There are several examples like that in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's not think it's a direct reference and a quotation that, oh, this prophecy is now fulfilled in this one. No, it just agrees with it and fills up the prophecy. So let's move on. Praise the Lord. So, now, so because the church means ek kaleo, that is, uh, called out of, there is a verse in the New Testament that really shows us what the church is, uh, is about. That sort of defines what the church is. And that is in First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Let's read together. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Hallelujah. One to go. But ye are a Chosen generation, you know the story, I mean the scripture, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his what? Marvelous light. So when you are talking of the church, it is an assembly of people who have been called out by God from the world and called unto himself are you getting it right now now in the book of acts chapter 7 when stephen was giving his defense let's read acts chapter 7 verse 38 let's look at the way he referred to the people of israel in the wilderness how did he refer to the people of Israel in the wilderness? Acts 7.38. Let's read together. We're going to do a lot and a lot and a lot of reading. Let's read together. One, two, go. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. With the angel we spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Praise the name of the Lord. So we see that the people of Israel moving from Egypt to the promised land when they were in the wilderness. How were they referred to? A church. Why were they called church? Because they were called out of Egypt and they were going to Canaan. Are you getting me right now? Called out. So the church is an assembly of what? People who are called out called out now you must have that at the back of your mind that you are called out of something 
And that is why, you know, it's very funny when people bring some doctrines that you see when you are born again, it doesn't really matter. Your heart is what matters. You know, you can do what you like and all that. I mean, how will you be called out of something and that thing will still be in you? <laughs> you understand? You know, some of these uh, funny doctrines on grace that some people preach. No, you are already called out. Praise the Lord. Israel was called out of Egypt. The church is called out of the world to be a people unto God. Have that at the back of your mind. You are called out. So that's why you are not part of that system anymore. Why? You've been called out of it. You've been called out of it. Now, in Christian theology, ecclesia means the but, I mean, it means a particular body of the faithful and the whole body of the faithful. And I'm going to explain. Now, there is a way the word ecclesia is being used in Christian theology. Now, it means it can be used in two ways. It can mean the whole body or the whole assembly of people that are called out. And when it is the whole assembly of people that are called out, the word used for that in Christian theology is the word universal ecclesia or universal church. What is universal church? The whole people that are called out. So the universal church, therefore, is all the Christians in the world. They are the universal church. So when you read places like Ephesians 5, I mean Ephesians 4, where the Bible talks of one faith, one baptism, one Lord, are you getting me right now? It's talking about which church? The universal church. Are you getting me? Now let's quickly read that Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I think that should be from verse 5 or so. Amen. Ephesians 4. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. That is, um, let's start from verse 3. Let's start from verse 3. Hallelujah. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4. There is one body. Which body? Body of Christ. Now we're still coming to that. Another way we look at the church is the body of Christ, right? There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5, verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So when he's talking of there is one body, that is chapter 4 verse 4, what is he referring to? The universal body. Now, the universal body of Christ is one. There is no this denomination or that denomination there. It is one body. Do you get it right now? And this one body of Christ comprises of believers all over the world. That is the universal body. So, every Christian belongs to what? 
the universal body. Every Christian belongs to the universal body. But let's move on. There is also what is called the particular body of Christ. Now, the particular body of Christ or the particular body of the faithful is usually referred to as the local body or local church. So, it is the local churches that makes up the universal church. It is the local bodies of Christ that makes up the universal body of Christ. Do you get it right now? Because it's not possible for Christians all over the world to be having service in one place. Amen? You know, it's not possible. It's practically impossible that all of us will gather together in one place. Even in Wales, if you will need to gather all the Christians in Wales together for a service, I'm sure you will need uh, a very big space. You understand? And um, imagine you are a keyboardist and there is just one church in Wales for all the Christians in Wales. And then you will need to take turns. Maybe if you play keyboard today, the next time you will play keyboard maybe five years time. <laughs> if you are called to lead worship today, on the roster, maybe ten years time before you lead, lead another worship. <laughs> Amen. So we have the local body of Christ. Now, don't forget, we said something about the church that in Acts chapter 19, verses 32, 39, and 41, that the church is also referred to as what? An assembly. 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 Now, every time the local church is implied, Every time the local church is implied, there is always a, a reference to assembly or to a gathering. So whenever the Bible talks of the local church, Bible wants you to have at the back of your mind that it involves a what? A gathering. The local church always involves a gathering. Are you getting me right now? Because we saw, for example, in that Acts 19, 32, 39, 41, that they were called an assembly. An assembly is people who come together. They are an assembly. Praise the Lord. Now, we're going to look at a few scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 11 to 12 and Psalm 22, verse 22. Now, Hebrews 2, 11 and 12 is quoted from Psalm 22, verse 22. Now, if you have time when you get home, read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. Now, there are some psalms that are messianic psalms. There are some prophecies that are messianic prophecies. That is, they talk about Jesus. Do you understand? Right. Maybe we should quickly turn there. Psalm, uh, Psalm 22. Let me look, uh, show you one or two verses there. Psalms chapter 22. You know, one thing that stands the Bible out of all religious books is that the Bible, you know, is a religious book that contains a lot of prophecies and the prophecies are just too accurate. Over 3,000 prophecies. Now let's look at this. Psalm 22 verse 1. I want all of us to read together. I want all of us. Let's read it together. One, two, go. My God, my God, why 
Are thou forsaking me? Have you heard that statement before? Where? Jesus on the cross. Can you see accurate prophecy? Praise the Lord. Now, let's read uh, one more scripture. Let's read uh, a few more verses. Right? Um, uh, okay. Let's read verse 16 and 17 and 18. 16, 17, 18. Let's read together. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They, they, and my feet. Whose hands and feet was pierced in scriptures? So, in, in Psalm 22, the Bible is already telling us how Jesus is going to be, to be killed. He will be killed by what? The piercing of his hands and his feet. And as at the time that David wrote this, amen, the Romans have not invented crucifixion. Are you getting it right now? Now, verse 17. Let's go on. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Now, have you forgotten in Isaiah 53, where the Bible talks of Jesus, that his visage was mad more than all the men upon the earth as a result of what? The scourging. Now, if, how many of you have watched that movie about the suffering of Jesus? What's it by Mel Gibson? Passion of Christ. How many of you have watched it? Right. Now, what you saw in Passion of Christ is not really up to what happened. Because, you know, I did a bit of church history. Now, what happens when Romans flog people, most people don't make it. Because they say the skin will so much tear that their intestines will come out. That was why when Jesus hung on the cross, remember by the time he died, the Bible said when they told the centurion that he was dead, that the centurion marveled that he had died so quickly. Because he has gone through the Roman scourging. Most people don't make it. Normally once a person is scourged by the Romans, the skin at the back will tear off. And that he says, I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Now, when you lose so much skin from your back, definitely there will be a lot of bleeding. So there will be, you know, do we have doctors, nurses here? Amen. There will be what is called low blood volume. Amen. Then blood pressure will go up. Are you getting me? Fluid level goes down in the body. Definitely death is beginning to speed up. And they do that for people to be crucified. Because when people are crucified, how many of you have heard the word excruciating before? The word excruciating is from the word crucifixion. Excruciating means out of the cross. Out of the cross. Because the pain, the death on the cross, the very painful death, the person's back will have first been pierced and the bones will be showing and once the person is nailed to the cross because the the death on the cross is a death by asphy asphy asphyxia asphyxia yeah asphyxia that is not inability to breathe air so the person on the cross cannot breathe so to breathe he will need to use the feet to push up because the two arms will have been paralyzed because of the nails now, the nails are not actually put here. They are put here. They put it here so that this joint can hold the body. 
if they put it there to just stare through. But there's a major nerve here called the median nerve. Doctors will tell you. How many of you have hit this part of your body on, you know, how do you feel? <laughs> you remember? So once they nail this place, the two arms become paralyzed. So to breathe, you will need to use the feet to be pushing up to take air and push down to, you know, to breathe out. And because the skin of the back is already removed, so we're rubbing it on the cross. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So that pain, that's why when pain is so much, they call it excruciating in English. Excruciating means out of the cross. Right. Now let's go to verse 17. I mean, tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Verse 18. Read verse 18 with me, everybody. One, two, go. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Where did you see that happen in scriptures? Yeah, on the cross, when Christ was on the cross, what did the Roman soldiers do? They cast lots to divide his clothes. Praise the Lord. So you can see the accuracy of scriptures. So scriptures like this are called messianic prophecies because they talk about the messiah are you getting me right now now so in verse 22 let's look at verse 22 let's look at verse 22 it says i will declare thy name unto my brethren uh-huh in the midst of the congregation will i praise thee now hebrews chapter 2 11 and 12 let's read now, Hebrews was now quoting this particular scripture about the Messiah. So, the Messiah has brethren. Is that right? And then there is a congregation in which the Messiah will praise Yahweh. Are you getting me? I will praise Yahweh. Where? In the midst of the congregation. Are you getting me right now? Now, it says in Hebrews, for both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause is not ashamed to call them brethren. Verse 12, let's read verse 12 together, everybody. Verse 12, one, two, go. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise to thee? So, what David called congregation, the writer of Hebrew calls it what? Church, ecclesia. Now, who does Jesus have in the congregation? He has brethren. Are you getting me? And who is the writer of Hebrews talking about that, you know, the Lord will praise them in the presence of who? Of his brethren. So when you are talking of the local church, the local church implies a gathering together of brethren. Are you getting me right now? So I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. So we'll see a congregation, we'll see church, we'll see brethren. So as we are here today, we are brethren amen and we are gathered together so this is a local church so people who go around teaching 
I don't know whether that is there, but it's so common now in the U.S. It's common in the U.S. They bring all this teaching that you don't need a congregation. You just need to join online, join us online on Sunday morning, and then you send your tithe and your offering to us. They don't know Bible. They don't know Bible. <laughs> don't follow them. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the Hebrew word used in Psalm 22, verse 22, that is the word, the Hebrew word used for congregation is the word uh, which is also quoted in the book of Hebrews as church is the Hebrew word kahal. Q-A-H-A-L. You see why I say you need to write. You can't remember all these things by heart. Q-A-H-A-L. Q-A-H-A-L. What is that word? Kahal. Kahal. That's the word used there in Psalm 22 verse 22. So when he says, in the midst of the congregation, what does he say? In the midst of the kahal, I will praise you. Now, the word kahal actually means multitude. Let's say what they say, multitude. You know, people say, well, you know, the Bible says, we are two or three are gathered. So we don't have to be more than two or three. But as we begin to look into the meaning of this word, we notice that the idea of a local church is not just two or three. Yes, it's a gathering of the brethren, but it is also a gathering of brethren that are many, multitude, multitude. And that is why when you belong to a local assembly, you should pray and walk and believe God for the local assembly to become a multitude. Praise the Lord. So it is translated multitude. Now that word is used for the first time in Genesis chapter 28 verse 3 and then later in verse 22. Now let's read Genesis 8 28 verse 3. Let's read together everybody one to go. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a kahar of people. So it is not just a multitude, it's not just a gathering of brethren. It should be what? A multitude. And that is the reason why place of victory, Swansea, thank God for what the Lord is doing. Next time I'm going to see you, we should be running two services. <laughs> Amen. With each service filled up. Amen. We should be buying some of those cathedrals. So that we can have what? A multitude. Multitude. So local churches should be what? Multitude. They shouldn't just be any, uh, uh, where two or three are gathered. Now, verse 22. Let's look at verse 22. Genesis chapter 20, uh, 28, verse 22. Now, David, I mean, Jacob was now running away from his brother. Now, remember, Isaac has blessed him and said, God will make you a kahal of people. Now he was running away, going to Laban, and then he had this revelation, you know, he saw this dream, a ladder from down, heaven down to earth, and the angel ascending and descending, and God was, you know, sitting upon the ladder. And look at what he said. I put, he put a stone there, and he said, and this stone which I have set for a pillar, a what? A pillar, right? shall be God's house. Note the word pillar. God's house. 
And of all thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now let me quickly stop here and just digress a bit. Do you notice that nobody actually told Jacob to pay tithe? It came from a revelation. Check when people pay tithe, they pay it because they have a revelation. Because there was no church here. There was no Bible. There was no preacher. There was no pastor. And he said, this stone, this stone, let it be what? The house of God. In fact, that is where we get the word Bethel. Bethel is from two Hebrew words, Beth, house of El, Elohim, house of God. So when you see in the reading Old Testament and you come upon the word Beth, any word that have Beth means the house of Beth Lehem, the house of bread. The house of bread. Beth Lehem, the house of bread. Are you getting me right now? Beth El, the house of God. El is a shortened word for Elohim. Are you getting me right now? Elohim basically means the strong one who binds himself with an oath. And that is the very first name of God revealed in scriptures. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Right? The word Elohim. Where the Bible says in the beginning, God. That God there is Elohim. The strong one. El that binds himself with an oath, right? And today, when you go to the Middle East or you have Arab friends or Jewish friends, you see them having names that you know have El. El, can you mention some of those words? El something, eh? El Azi, huh? El something, you see them answering names that have El. El is just like the Yorubas, you say Olu, which is Lord. Right? Or Igbos to say Chi, which is God, you know, something like that added to their name. Chitara, Chi, Gozie, you know, and all that. Olu, Benga, Olu, you know, and all that. So that's just the way it is. You understand now? That's the name of God. First name revealed. Now, you will see here that he used the word pillar. And then he says, this is Bethel. Pillar. Bethel, and there I will pay tithe. So when he says, bring all the tithes to my storehouse, are you seeing the connection of scriptures now? Bethel, pillar, titan. Now, let's move on. First Timothy 3. Timothy, Apostle Paul now took on this Genesis 23, verse 22, and in First Timothy, in his letter to Timothy. Now, understand this. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, they are called pastoral epistles. They are called what? Pastoral epistles. Why are they pastoral epistles? Because they give us the foundation of how a church should run. How to get elders, deacons, leaders, criteria to use to ordain them, and things like that. So that's why they are called pastoral epistles. Now, let's read First Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15 He said, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in where? The house of God. The Bethel. The Bethel. Right? Which is the church 
of what the living god the what pillar the what pillar and ground of truth can you see the use of the word pillar again right pillar so we see that therefore the church is not just any kind place oh is a serious matter it is the pillar the ground of truth now the word pillar there is figurative it doesn't mean just pillar what do we have pillars for do we have anybody who's uh, into architecture building another yeah to, to support right so the church gives the supporting structure he supports so that is where god is you know the, the, the church is that support is that pillar where god can come and communicate with people bless people and that's why he said in that psalm 133 behold how good and how pleasant it is it for brethren to dwell together in unity it is like the oil that runs from the head of aaron down to the bears down to the skirts verse 3 for there what happens god commands the blessing there where does god commands the blessing there 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 <laughs> and that's why everything you know whenever people cry to god in any area oh god visit us you know what god does you just plant a church there and you know the uk people the the, the british they got it well right when there was revival, you will notice that if you go around the UK, you will see that virtually on every street they have churches. Virtually on every street. Because the church is actually the answer of God to the suffering of the people. So when people say, churches are everywhere, churches are everywhere, I say, we have just started. <laughs> we have just started place of victory we still have many branches all of you will become pastors and ministers and deacons and deaconesses and you will feel the whole of uh, the whole of swansea the whole of wales praise the lord and then you begin to go to other places because god will keep planting church because that is where he commands the blessing he will keep planting it so if there is another town and they start crying to God, Lord, we need deliverance. Lord, we need healing. Lord, we need blessing. Lord, we need breakthrough. Oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. What will God do? He will just put it in the heart of Pastor Jeffrey. Ah, we need to plant a parish in that place. So. <laughs> That's how God works. And then the church becomes a place where God can meet the needs of people and heal the sick and break yokes and then bring light of God to that area. Praise the Lord. So we have established that the church is what? An ecclesia. There is a universal. There is the local. The local is not just any gathering. It is a gathering with the intention that it will become a multitude. Praise the Lord. And that multitude will grow because that is the pillar. That is the supporting structure. Praise the Lord for the truth of God in all to all the world. Next, Psalm 100 verses 1 to 3. Are you getting blessed tonight? Hallelujah. Amen. You know we can go on like this till midnight. This is what I do all my life. <laughs> no, don't be afraid. I will soon random. 
You know, I pray God will give us the kind of patience of Chinese people. Dr. Samson can tell you. Now, it's like they don't know you as Dr. Samson here. They know you as Dr. Shola, right? Uh, so I better start calling you that. I know him as Bro Samson then. <laughs> you know, they, they are very patient with the word of God. They sit for hours. You know, eight hours, they are there. We're still teaching. They are not going anywhere. You know, but black people, God will help us. We are always in a hurry. <laughs> Amen. Now let's read Psalm 100 from verse 1. He said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with what? Singing. Verse 3. One, two, go. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pastor we are what is people and what the sheep so in a local church the we in the local church what are we we are the sheep we are the sheep so in a local church we are what sheep so every one of us here what are we sheep we are the sheep of his pasture we are not the goat of his pasture we are what the sheep of his pasture Goats are very stubborn. And there are some goats inside the sheep. If you pastor, you <laughs> you know, goats, goats, they inside church. You. <laughs> they will give pastor problem. But thank God there is no goat here. If you come home to Nigeria, you see goat. <laughs> you know, if you was be a pastor, you must be very patient. But people will show you, eh? <laughs> so we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture. Now, let me ask you, what is the greatest need of sheep? Who wants to tell me? What's the greatest need of sheep? Food, uh huh. Direction, uh huh. Shelter, uh huh. Let's quote Psalm 23. One to go. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh -huh. I shall not want. Uh -huh. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So who takes the sheep to where there is food? The shepherd. Who takes, who guides and directs the sheep? The shepherd. Who restores the sheep? The shepherd. Who takes the sheep to where there is water? The shepherd. Who protects the sheep? From lions and foxes and wolves. The shepherd. So the number one need of a sheep is what? The shepherd. So when you come into a church. You will find the sheep. We are the sheep. Are you getting me right now? And because the greatest need of sheep is shepherd, John chapter 10 verse 11. Quickly, let us read John chapter 10 verse 11. I want
all of us to read together john chapter 10 11 one to go i am the good shepherd the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep verse 14 verse 14 i am the good shepherd that know my sheep and i'm known of mine verse 15 verse 15 as the father knoweth me even so know i the father and i laid down my life for the sheep verse 16 let's read this very loud one to go and other sheep i have which are not of this fold them also i must bring that they shall hear my voice and there shall be one fold and one shepherd how many people have been in cac or apostolic church what is the logo the motto yeah one fold, one shepherd that's where they got it amen so the greatest need of sheep is what shepherd so who is the first shepherd of the sheep jesus christ now first peter chapter 5 verse 4 uh, first first uh, peter chapter 5 verse 4 and when the chief shepherd shall appear ye shall receive a crown of glory that faded not away. So the number one shepherd of the sheep is who? Jesus Christ. And here the Bible calls him what? The chief shepherd. The chief. The number one shepherd. But because the greatest need of sheep is shepherd. Amen. So when the chief shepherd was going. What do you think he would do to protect his sheep? He will need to establish other shepherds. Because without shepherd, what will happen to the sheep? They will go astray. Wolves will finish them. So, for three and a half years, what was the chief shepherd doing? He was raising up another generation of what? Of shepherds. Now, John chapter 21, John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. Now, let's read together, church. We're going to read together. You see, in this is a minister's or worker's meeting, so we're going to read together. Amen? Let's read one to go. So, when they are dying, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than this? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, prophesy to my sheep what did he tell them feed my sheep and my lamb take care of this you know lamb is small sheep baby sheep is lamb praise the lord now verse 16 now i said that because a lot of people think that the job of a pastor is what to be telling your phone number that's not true they say that man of God, he they see. How many of you have heard that before? Eh? We invite people to church. They say that your pastor, he they see. Ah, if you know they see, I know they go. Now, pastor, where they see? That's not the job of a, of a pastor. I'm going to show you. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, 
feed my sheep. Verse 17. Quickly. Verse 17. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So what is the job of the shepherd? Is to what? To feed the sheep. So who is the chief shepherd? Jesus Christ. When he was going, what did he do? He raised up shepherds. Are you here with me? He raised up what? Shepherds. What are the shepherds supposed to do? To feed the sheep. Just like he fed the sheep. Are you getting me right now? So in a local church, therefore, what do we have? We have Jesus who is the chief shepherd who has gone to heaven. And then we have the local shepherd and the sheep. Amen. So your pastor is who? Is your shepherd. And who are you? The sheep. <laughs> That's why if you don't have shepherd, you go astray. You know, there are Christians who don't have shepherd. They feel, yeah, I have a call of God upon my life. I'm anointed for an end time assignment. So, so where, which church do you go? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't need a church that will tie down the grace of God upon my life. I say, when did you get born again? I say, you will soon backslide. <laughs> you know, I've been born again and actively involved in ministry for uh, wait, wait now, 1988, that's 34 years, April 1988. So, what I've done for, for 34 years, you should know that I have some experience in it. And not just in one place, I've done it in every continent of this world. So, you should know I have some experience. If you don't have shepherd, you will be missing. It's a matter of time. You will be led astray. So, you and your pastor can be colleagues in the office. Hmm? But when you come here, he is what? Your shepherd. What are you? You are the sheep. <laughs> so if you want to eat good food, you better follow the shepherd. <laughs> because without the shepherd, you won't eat good food. You'll be eating junks. And if you eat junks every time, what happens to you? It will affect your health. Glory be to God. Now, let me show you something here. Go with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. We're going to start from verse 4. First Peter chapter 5. From verse 4. Let's read. I mean from verse 1, sorry. First Peter chapter 5 from verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort, whom I'm also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint. But willingly. Not for filthy locker. But of a ready mind. Verse 3. Neither has been lords over God's inheritance. But being examples unto the flock. Verse 4. Read verse 4 with me everybody. One, two, go. Right. 
Now, when you look at verse 1, it said the elder. The word elder, right? Um, pastor. Let me start from this. In the Greek, the word translated pastor is from the Greek noun poimen. P-O-I-M-E-N. Poimen. That's the word translated pastor. And the word is the same word translated shepherd. It's actually shepherd. Poimen. Now, the verb for it is poimano, which is feed. So when he say feed the flock of God, poimano, the flock of God, that is shepherd. That's why if you read some new translations, contemporary translations, instead of saying feed the flock of God, you will say shepherd the flock of God. Why? Because the pastor is the same as the shepherd. And that word occur a total of 29 times in the New Testament. Now, bishops and pastors are not distinct from elders. Now, I want to I want you to understand this first Peter 5. They are not distinct for elders. The terms are simply different ways of identifying the same people. The Greek word for bishop is episcopos. Episcopos. E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S. I'm sure you've heard episcopal church. Right? Aha. Episcopos. Right? Then the Greek word for pastor is poimen. Right? Now, um, the word, the Greek word for elder is the word presbyt. Is from where we get the word presbytery. From where we get the word presbyterian church. Are you getting it right now? Right? So, if you now go to First Peter chapter 5 verse 1, Let's read again. It says, The presbyters, presbytery, which are among you, I exalt, whom am also a presbyter, an elder. Now, the word elder there is used for um, leaders in the church or pastors in the church. And why was elder chosen? Because when Paul started establishing churches, you know, he would go to a place, he would preach in Swansea, establish a church. Then from Swansea, we will go to Cardiff, establish a church. So when he's going, what he would do is, he will commit the church to the hand of elders. Are you getting me right now? So there are people who are devoted to God, but they are elderly in age. Before he start building up and developing people like Timothy, like Titus, who are now taking over those churches, he will look for a man that is older in age, that can take care of the church, pray for him, and then put him in charge of the church, and then move somewhere else. Then when he was able to raise up pastors, he was now sending those pastors to take over. And then those pastors were to now ordain elders. If you read Titus chapter 1 verse 5, can we quickly read Titus chapter 1 verse 5? Titus chapter 1 verse 5, look at this. For this cause, now Titus was now a bishop, right? He was, what's the word for bishop again? Episcopus. Right? He was now an episcopus. 
Now, the word bishop simply means overseer. Overseer. So, a bishop is a pastor who oversees churches. So, in the you know, in the in the right time, when Pastor Jeffrey established three more branches and is now overseeing them, he has become a bishop. <laughs> Are you getting it right now? So that's just the word. Now, is that so? For this cause, I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as i had appointed thee that is ordained elders presbyteros from where we get presbyterian are you getting me right now so usually they call them elders because paul will look for elderly people and then commit the church to them then when he now raises up pastors people who have the call of a pastor he sends them to take over the church do you understand right now so let's go to first peter chapter 5 again from verse 1 first peter chapter 5 from verse 1 are we still there if we are still there shout hallelujah shout it louder hallelujah right um sorry um um i'm coming just a minute okay okay so let's read down the presbyteros which are among you i exalt who am also a presbyteros and a witness of the sufferings of christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 2. Poimano, the flock of God. Why? They are poimen. The presbytero, the elders. They are what? Poimen. They are pastors. They are shepherds. Right? So what do they do? They should shepherd the flock or feed the flock which is among you taking the oversight overseeing bishop episcopus so the shepherd feeds the flock and oversees the flock you know we were coming yesterday and somebody was calling you for uh, about rent uh, that is part of overseeing job you are overseeing ah, this one uh, this brother has not gotten rent ah, this sister she's still is uh, that's overseeing you are doing the job of a bishop right now taking the oversight or overseeing the work thereof you are overseeing the work overseeing the work and that's why a pastor should protect his flock why he is an overseer amen you know, sometimes when pastors get involved in some of the things we do, we say, oh, no, 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 this is my life, this is my life, why should he? No, he's an overseer. Amen. If you are my flock and I see that where you are going there, there are wolves there. As an overseer, I should be able to see that there are wolves there and say, ah, sister Janet, don't go there, there are wolves there. Don't listen to those kind of doctrines. Those doctrines will make you to miss heaven. 
Why? He is an overseer. But today people say, hey, which one is his own? After all, like Yoruba says, there is no fight in church. You only say prayer, I say amen. How many of you understand Yoruba here? Kosinka and church, Shadura and Shami. There is fight in church. Church is more than Shadura and Shami. Amen. Because he's supposed to oversee. Amen. Hallelujah. And especially for those of us that are young, still believing God, for getting married and all that, your pastor should be able to oversee who you are going to marry. Don't just come and say, um, Pastor Jeffrey, praise God. Um, you know, I've met John. Um, we met at a function. He's also a Christian, even though he doesn't really take church serious. Um, but um, he's also a Christian. So by the grace of God, I will be going to Nigeria to marry. Eh? Ah. You know, you are not allowing him to take the oversight to be a bishop over you. You should be able to say, well, I'm praying, I met John, but we are still believing God. Come and meet my pastor first. And I know there are young ladies there. Let me tell you, young ladies. Any young man that doesn't have an authority that can call him to order, don't marry him. That is, he doesn't have someone that can say, come, sit down there. Eh? That's error going to happen. Young girls, I'm telling you. You meet a young guy and every time he is the alpha and the omega of his life. Nobody can call him and say, sit down. Nobody can call him, you and your wife, come and meet me by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. And he will say, yes, sir. Eh? Error. Because if he beats you, nobody can talk to him. So you first say, come and meet my pastor. Eh? Then pastor can now take him out for lunch and talk and, you know, and all that. He's doing what? Oversight. Eh, oversight. Oversight. And as a pastor, one of the things you do when you... Okay, let me talk about that. <laughs> Let's go to First Peter 5 again. Amen. So... You are supposed to feed the flock of God. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, 28 to 29. When Paul was leaving the church at Ephesus, what did he say to the leaders of the church at Ephesus? How many seconds do I have more? It's like my time is up, right? Okay, let's wrap it up here. Uh, Acts 20, 28 to 29. Don't mind me, I like talking a lot. <laughs> One, two, go. Take heed therefore unto yourself. Now, who was he talking to here? The presbytero, the elders, the pastors, the poemen, the bishop. Are you getting me right now? So what must they do? They should take it to themselves. To themselves. Don't let church work. Take all your time. Take it to yourself. Your personal time with God. Take it. Now, not just that. And to all the flock. So what is the church called? Flock. What is the church called? Flock. What do we have in a flock? Sheep. Which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Episcopos. Amen. 
For example, if I see a sister and he's getting close to one so-called bro in the church, and I know this bro, his bro is no bro. <laughs> <laughs> and because he's the only ghost that made me overseer, I can call and say, eh, as I'm overseeing, use wisdom. Now, bro, he's still not bro. Uh-huh. So, when Pastor Jeffrey does that, don't be angry. He's what? Overseeing. Are you getting me right now? He's overseeing. Which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to do what? To feed. The new, a newer translation will say is to shepherd, poimano, the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. So this gathering is a serious one. Somebody paid for this gathering. And he paid the ultimate price for us to have this gathering. That's why I see, don't fight church. Nobody escapes it. Even if your church offends you and you are going to leave, just leave. Don't go and say, that church, they call themselves church. Price was paid for it. And it's the price of blood. The owner of the church will ask you. Don't destroy church. You know why? The person who paid the price for this gathering with his blood. If you destroy. He will ask him. You know I told you. I have been in this thing for 34 years. And I have seen people who destroy church with their mouth. And I have seen what happens to them. If God is calling you to ministry. Don't break the church you are. And carry it away. To go and start your own. Somebody paid with his blood. One day we ask you. Amen? Don't fight church. Because church has owner. The owner of this church is not Pastor Jeffrey. (laughs) Pastor Jeffrey too is accountable to the owner. Do you know in the last day all of us will be on a single fight? (laughs) As the owner is asking you, how did you do my church? You will also be asking you, I told you to be singing in the church, how did you do it? (laughs) Because we are all accountable to the owner of the church. So when you are committed to the work of God in the church, you are not serving the pastor. Because the pastor, no, like the Yorubas we say, oh, no, duty any. He too is striving to make it. Amen. So he said, shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Now read verse 29. Why do you need to shepherd the flock of God? Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So why does the sheep need shepherd? Bible said there are wolves around. You know, around all this one sea, there are wolves. Wolves. They want to tear you. They want to take you away. They want to ruin your faith. They don't want you to make heaven. We went somewhere yesterday when we went to eat. He said that is the Sodom and Gomorrah of Swansea. <laughs> Amen. Uh, there are wolves there. 
Hallelujah. Now, for many of the of us here, if you know the plan that Satan has for you, Satan is not joking. <laughs> he wants some of us to be in asylum by now. He wants some of us to be begging by the streets. He wants some of us, you know, to be on drugs by now. He wants some of us to be sick right now. He wants many marriages to be broken. He wants girls, men to be into prostitution, wasting them. That's the plan he has. Wolves. So because of the wolves, what did God do? He put the sheep under the care of shepherd. If you run away, you don't allow yourself to be shepherded. Wolves will catch up with you. I'm sure some of us watch National Geographic channel. National Geographic channel. You know when all these big cats want to feast, what do they do? They look for the weakest of the herbivores, the weakest zebra. <laughs> Once they chase, the strong ones will run away and they will focus on the weak ones. The ones that are really terrible is are the jackals, uh, hyenas. You know hyenas, they hunt in parks. They pick one animal, and what, you know what they do? They keep pursuing the animal until the animal is tired. And the animal can no longer run. So the animal will stand there looking, and they will be eating the animal while standing. They target the weak. So wolves are out there looking for the weak. That's why the Bible says that your adversary, like what? A roaring lion looking for who to what? To devour. So what does the devil wants to do? Is looking for the weak. Looking for the one he can devour. He said, when I go, there are wolves. So what must you do? Shepherd. Shepherd. Amen. Verse 30. Quickly. Verse 30. Amen. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So it's been happening for 2,000 years. Now, let's rehearse Psalm 23 again. Everybody, one, two, go. No, don't project it. We all know it. All of us. One, two, go. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh -huh. I shall not want. It's like you know it better than us. Can you read it? <laughs> Amen. Are you a student? Ah, postgraduate? Ah, I was thinking that you look like undergraduate. I was preaching in one school in Malaysia and I saw one Nigerian Yoruba girl. So after the meeting, you know, they introduced her to me. I said, ah, what course are you doing? You know, did you just enter? She said, no, I'm rounding up my PhD. I said, ah, you? He said, yes. Ah, I said, I'm sorry, how old are you? She told me, I said, how come? Ha! I said, you say, yeah. He's a lecturer now. Amen. So let's read Psalm 23 again. One to go. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh -huh. I shall not want. Uh -huh. He leadeth me beside. He leadeth me beside. He leadeth me beside. Now what does, what is still waters? Still waters. What does it mean? Calm waters. Do you know that sheep don't drink from troubled waters? Go and ask farmers. Once a water is troubled, sheep will run away. They will be thinking <laughs> there is something inside that water. Don't go there. 
So sheep always drink from smooth running waters. So what does the devil do? When he wants to destroy a church, he will raise up some people within the church to trouble the water. That's why we must be careful. When people start saying, eh, eh, in fact, this is our pastor self. Eh, in fact, the way they are doing this self. Eh, in fact, all those things are ways to do what? To trouble the water. The moment people start talking cha-cha-cha-cha-cha in the church, the moment people start fighting in the church, the water is troubled. And what will happen to the sheep? They withdraw. And then the real sheep begins to get thirsty. And when they cannot get their needs met, they go to somewhere else to drink. So that's why Paul said, even from among you, some people will arise to scatter the sheep. Why? Because it is easy to trouble the waters by raising up people within the church. And that's why, if they, you see, it is impossible for us to have a church and you will not have misunderstandings. Let me say that to you. So when Yoruba say there is no fight in church, it's not true. There is no, it's no way. There is no way that you will not have misunderstanding. But what does the Bible say in Matthew 18? He said, if your brother offend you, what must you do? He said, go and talk to him. He didn't say, go and talk to somebody. He said, go and meet him. Tell him. If he doesn't listen, then you can call one or two other people. Then if not, the church. So let us not allow issues to trouble the water. Are you getting me right now? Let's always resolve issues. Let's read one more scripture. My time is far, 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 far spent. Jeremiah 3, 15 and 16. This one we are going to read together. Jeremiah chapter 3, 15 and 16. So what is the greatest need of sheep? Is what? Shepherd. What's the greatest need of sheep? Is what? Shepherd. Tell your neighbor, you need shepherd. You need shepherd. Uh, you need shepherd. <laughs> Don't say, well, you know, I have all the anointing. I can do all the prayer. It's a lie. You need shepherd to take you to where there is food. If you don't have a shepherd now, I won't be, you won't be hearing me today. I won't be here. It's because you have a shepherd. The shepherd now said I should come and bring food for you. Amen. Now let's read. One to go. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart. We shall what? Feed you with what? Knowledge and understanding. What will they feed you with? Knowledge and understanding what will pastors feed you with knowledge and understanding what will pastors feed you with knowledge and understanding so when you go to a church what are you expecting to be fed with knowledge and understanding not calling phone number that's not food amen not calling passport number. That's not food. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, what will happen when you are fed? One, two, go. Verse 16. Where you are fed. And it shall come to pass. When ye be multiplied and increased in the land. Now, so what will happen to you? multiplication and what 
increase what will happen to you multiplication and what increase what will happen to you multiplication and what increase so how do you experience increase as a sheep you let your pastor feed you that's actually the key to the miraculous So every time you come and you are being fed, every time you come, you are being fed. Every time you come, you are being fed. What happens? Increase begins to come to your life. You begin to have results. You begin to have testimonies. Are you getting me right now? So a shepherd is anointed to bring increase to your life. A shepherd is anointed to bring multiplication and promotion into your life. How? By feeding you constantly. With what? With knowledge and understanding. Now we have mommies here. I want us, ah, please give me five minutes, please. Let me round up in five minutes. No, I mean it's five minutes. <laughs> now, this one is finally, 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 my brethren. <laughs> Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, uh, let's start from verse 9. Ephesians 4 from verse 9. Now, I just want to say something about this feeding. Because you will see that in all the scriptures we've been reading about shepherd, what do they do? They say feed the flock, feed the flock, feed the flock, feed, feed, feed. Now, let's read from verse 9. One to go. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Verse 10. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might feel all things. Verse 11. Verse 11 quickly. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave how many? How many? Is it everybody? He gave how many? Some. What did he give? Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Now that is the category of the elders. Presbyterus, bishop, episcopus. Are you getting in right now? Now what are they supposed to do? Verse 12. Let's read. One to go. For what? The perfecting. Perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ verse 13 quickly till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of god verse 14 quickly verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive now so he gave some he gave some he gave some that will be a teaching for another day but what did he give them for for the perfecting of the saints say with me perfecting 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 now when you read the new testament and you see the word perfect or perfecting or perfection most of the time it does not mean sinless perfection it doesn't mean the person doesn't sin again but what he's talking about usually is from the greek word teleos t-e-l-e-o-i-s t 
T-E-L-E-O-I-S. Telios. What is Telios? To reach full measure, full stature, maturity. Amen? Now, when you look at me now, with respect to height, I have reached Telios. I have become perfect. That is, I can never be taller than this. But with respect to width, praise the Lord. <laughs> I've been fighting that since I was a teenager. Amen. And I'm still fighting it. Hallelujah. Right. But when you look at, um, do we have a child there? When you look at this young man, what's your name? Desmond. Hallelujah. Stand up. Now, Desmond has not reached Telios with respect to height. Amen. So in five years from now, he's going to be taller than this. Right? Now, but there was a time, sit down, that Desmond was like that little girl. There was a time that Desmond was a baby. Now, I want to ask all the mommies here, how did Desmond grow to this height? What happened to him? Was it prayer and fasting? Was it anointing or eh? What made him grow to this height? Food. Amen. Food. So, for as long as a baby is being fed, what will happen? He will keep growing. Until he reaches what? Telios. So, he said that we henceforth be no more babies. Amen. That we henceforth be no more babies. Verse 14. That we henceforth be what? No more babies. So, when you come into church, you are a baby. So, the poemen, poemen know you with what? Knowledge and understanding. And as you now begin to grow, you start seeing miracles, testimonies in your life. Why? You are being fed. That's why be committed to midweek service. House fellowship. Do you do house fellowship? Not yet. Okay. Uh, house fellowship. Midweek service. Don't just make it Sunday service alone. Be committed to being fed. Because when you are being fed, spiritually you start growing. Are you getting me right now? And as you are growing, we begin to see the result in your life. Do you know what problem we have in the church today? Many people have kwashioko, spiritual kwashioko. They don't know anything. That's why I said that we be ends for no more children toss to and fro. So when they hear, hey, one prophet is coming to Swansea, he can tell you your past, present, and future. When he ducks his hand like this, he will just mention your passport number. When he ducks his hand like this, he will tell you the village you come from. So what do babies do? They will run there. Hey, oh God, let the prophet call my case. Let the prophet mention my case. Babies. Babies. Babies, right, need to get everything done for them. You know, mothers will tell you, when you are a baby, and they cry for everything. Is that not right? When babies are hungry, what do they do? They cry. When you give them food and they are full, what do they do? They cry. When they want to sleep, what do they do? They cry. When they wake up from sleep, what do they do? They cry. So when you see a congregation of babies that have not been fed, they complain about everything. 
You see, you see? Ushers didn't clean this chair well. They should have cleaned it well. What are they doing in the church? Babies, you can clean it. <laughs> so, look at that scripture again. That Ephesians 4. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12. For the what? Perfected. Maturity of the saints. Uh-huh. For the work of the... Work of the... So, if people remain babies, they can't do the work of ministry. For them to do the work of ministry, they must have what? Been fed. Amen. They must have been matured. That is when they can do what? The work of the ministry. So, the choir cannot minister in power if they are babies. Are you getting me? So, if you have a chunk of choir members who are not yet fed with knowledge and wisdom, having an understanding of the word, they will single. But impact, the impact can be much. Are you getting me right now? So, how do we do the work of the ministry? It is saints who have been fed and they are growing. They are the ones that do the work. The work. Pastor, that's why some people complain. Eh, eh, every time they want us to come to church, eh, every time eh, they want us to do this, eh, the choir mistress will say that we are going to have practice. Ah, they should know that this is Europe, this is not Nigeria. Eh? Ah, <laughs> you know why they are complaining? They have not reached Telios. <laughs> when you reach Telios, all those ones don't matter. Even if it is to do the rehearsal by 12 midnight every night, you will find a time to call. But if you have not reached Telios, even if they tell you the rehearsal is five minutes, you will still say that it is too much. Now, finally, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Which body of Christ are they talking about? Their universal body. So, how does the universal body of Christ grow? How does it grow? The universal body of Christ grows when a local body which has shepherd and sheep does their job. That is, the shepherd feeds the sheep, the sheep grows, and the sheep contributes their quota, their service in ministry. As they are doing that, the universal body of Christ begins to grow. You know, I've met people who tell me, Pastor, you know, God has given me an assignment for the body of Christ. I said, praise God. God has called me with a great ministry for the body of Christ. In fact, God told me that what he wants me to do in the body of Christ, it has never been done in the world before. I said, hey, there is nothing new under the heavens. There is no new anointing. No. Every anointing you ever get, God has given somebody before. <laughs> so I asked them, so what do you do in your local assembly? Ah, they said, no, because I don't want any church to tie me down. The grace of God upon my life is so great. I say, yeah. You will soon pass slide though. <laughs> so, how do we advance the universal body of Christ? By growing in the local assembly and then doing the work of the ministry in the local assembly. Now, let me explain. If all of us here 
allow ourselves to be fed with knowledge and wisdom. And then we grow. We multiply. Glory be to God. And then this local body becomes 1,000 people. What does that mean? It means we've added maybe like 800 people to the universal body of Christ. So if they are going to count Christians globally, the work we did here has increased the number of Christians universally by what? By 800. That's what we did here. Then we get to 1,000. Pastor said, ah, we need to split to three branches. Glory be to God. And then we divide to three. Bam, bam, bam. And we brought three properties. What does that mean? In the Wales office of the registrar, what do they call these people? Town planning. The number of church properties has increased by three. How did they increase by three? What you did in the choir, what you did in the usher, what you did in the prayer department. You have advanced the universal body of Christ by what? By three properties, by having more churches, and by having more pastors. Because those three churches will now have more pastors, more leaders, everything. So what we did here have affected the universal body of Christ. And then it has increased resources available to the universal body of Christ. Because those three churches, let's say each one is now 400 people or 300 people, their offering and tithe will have increased also. So it means the universal body of Christ already got more money. Because of what? Because of what you did here. So let's not be deceived that, oh, God has given me an assignment for the body and then you are waiting for the time when they will put, you know, give you microphone and then you will be doing crusade all over churches. No. It's by what you do in your local church. Have you been blessed this evening? Let the sheep shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Me to have sheep. Hallelujah. (laughs) So, we are the sheep. Then we have shepherd. The shepherd feeds us. When we get fed, we will have miracle. We won't need to look around for miracle. We will begin to have testimonies in our lives. And that is when we'll be able to serve and do the work of ministry. And as we do the work of ministry, the universal body of Christ will begin to expand. So, all you do is to expand the universal body of Christ. Hallelujah.